Alright everybody and welcome back to the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the show, here on the DTP. My name is Colton G and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the DTP. Episode 79 featuring Gordiep of the Spoons. Of course, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on just exactly who Gord and the Spoons are coming up right away soon. But before we get there, there's a few things I want to go ahead and take care of first. So first things first, I want to go ahead and thank those of you who have checked out the last two weeks of episodes from the Desert Tiger podcast. Those, of course, being the ones that feature the Constellation Sensation, Ryan Orion, and of course, last week's episode with Sleep Circle. Why am I thanking you guys for the last two weeks of episodes that you've checked out, that you've gone ahead and given me feedback for, that you guys went and shared on your social media with your friends? Well, I'm going to go ahead and thank you because last week I was on the road taking care of some things, visiting friends and family back home in Saskatchewan, so my time was a little bit limited on being able to get to that, but now that I am back home at the DTP station here, the little studio, we got going on. Those things are rocking. We're back rocking and rolling, and the ball is moving. So thank you for checking out the episodes with Ryan O'Ryan and Sleep Circle. Of course, I just want to go ahead and let you guys know that Every episode of the DTP, including this one, is brought to you by ILoveDTP.com. And why is that? That's because it's where you're going to find yourself the latest Desert Tiger swag so that you can rep the show everywhere you go, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and even in front of your enemies. Because they can't stop you from chasing your dreams, baby. Ah, yeah. Alright, time can be a funny thing. Sometimes you never know how something will work out, what an idea will become, or just what ends up repeating and what doesn't. Take for example, The Spoons. The 80s New Wave group is considered one of the most influential Canadian acts of the time, releasing anthemic pop tunes, recording a movie soundtrack, multiple gold albums, and being featured on the first ever episode of Much Music to be released, The band has had its share of successes, no doubt. Fast forward to the present, and the group is still gaining recognition for its music videos. Even in a time where much music itself does not play many of music videos themselves. Returning to the studio after a recording hiatus, the band has recently released their seventh studio album, New Day, New World garnering attention not only for the way they continue to connect with their infectious music, but also with the storytelling narratives of the videos that accompany their songs. The Spoons music video for their latest single, The First and Last Time, has been receiving praise from film festivals worldwide, even earning the video's director a Best Director Award for a music video at the Indo-Global Film Festival. The first in a three-part miniseries, the video focuses on a paranormal aspect and begins a story that carries through these three videos, the other two of which have yet to be released. The Spoons are also one year away from celebrating their 40th anniversary since starting the band. 
So when better of a time than now to return to form? Especially with the continued rise of the retro 80s movement, something that Gord himself is experiencing in more ways than one as he is also currently touring with Flock of Seagulls, to bring back those classic do-do-do's. And of course, you, the listeners of the DTP, know that we're going to be playing the return of those doot-doot-doos in a new form for you coming up very soon here, as we like to do when we have a musical guest on the show. We like to give you a little bit of a taste of their music so you can have a better understanding of them. And of course, like we said earlier, time can be a, a funny thing. So, you know, it. this wasn't the first time the Doot Doot Doos made the return. Maybe it won't be the last time. Just like this song, the first and last time.
Gord Depp from the Spoons. Yes, it is. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly fine. Uh, great. I'm just in the in the bus heading from Soundcheck to the hotel. Oh. Out in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm on the road with Flock of Seagulls, and uh, we're doing down, well, the summer, a whole summer is pretty well down the U.S. Oh, wow. So you're, staying, you're staying busy regardless, always on the road. Yeah, I fly home for a show this weekend with the spoons on back again. Oh, wow. My goodness. Yeah, yeah it's great. great. <laughs> You're going to have to see if you can get them to tour together at some point just to make it a little bit easier. Well, we we do have a bunch of shows coming up together. Oh, wow. Right across. Yeah, we, we got a little package with Swagger Seagulls, Man Without Hats and Spoons, which is a pretty good 80s package, I'd say. Oh, I, I would say that's uh, pretty good. I feel like the houses are going to be packed and ready to dance. Yeah, well, the next the closest one would be no, November 1st at Casino Rama. Okay. And then, um, then we have four out uh, Western Canada, in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and somewhere else in the casinos in February. Yeah, so... You know, I play with the spoons and the flock and uh, lucky both on the same night. Wow, I'm going to have to try and see if I can make my way to Calgary or Vancouver to try and catch one of those sets. Yeah. All right, so that of course... Cool. Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely should be. So, of course, we're talking today to speak about the spoons latest album, New Day, New World, and, of course, some of the videos that you guys have been releasing have been gaining a lot of attention for that album crazy eh? yeah no incredible incredible but before i get there i would actually want to give the listeners of the podcast here a little bit of a background on the spoons you guys actually had like quite a bit of a run in the 80s there for a while released five studio albums i believe um at least yeah like i have to look something like that <laughs> somewhere between five five and eight or something like that okay yeah they, yeah we were pretty well recorded right through the 80s until grunge hit and then the 80s were done as we knew it for a while anyway but it, as you can see it came back yeah so tell me what was that initial run like for the spoons back in the 80s the music industry was a much different monster back then oh for sure i mean we didn't have all the tools that you have now online but because everything is so fresh and because especially catching the the video age that you know spoons were on the very first episode of much music 
and being a young dad with with a cute girl who's it was made for us, you know. So it was a whole way of doing business, different way of doing business than the bands before that. Overnight, everybody in the country could see who you were, you know, because of the video. And that really, really catapulted us forward with the song Nova Heart. Mm-hmm. Which, Nova Heart, uh, which album was that from again? Well, it, it was sort of backwards in those days. It was on a, on a 12-inch dance single first. Okay. Back then. It was like eight minutes long, and then we cut it down to radio length, you know, whatever that was for something, and ended up being on the Aries and Symphonies album. Okay. Yeah. So, you guys did a lot of other things, too, involved, like you said, with being on the first ever episode of Much Music, being one of the Canadian bands to be portrayed and put Mm -hmm. in front of that large audience. You guys also worked on a movie soundtrack during that time as well, which also helped spawning some of your biggest singles of the time. Yeah, really. It was, um, um, I'm just trying to remember what, what song, well, were, yeah, Romantic Traffic and, and, um, Tell No Lies. Tell No Lies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, back then everything was so new, you know, like the industry was changing in a funny way. Like, you know, we, we ended up doing a whole, um, endorsement campaign, which involved television commercials and, um, radio spots and big time posters for a clothing line. And again, at the time we got a lot of slack for it, but these days everybody's got their own perfume or their, you know, some kind of endorsement back, back, back then. It was a brand new thing that uh, we had to sort of deal with the criticism, but it kept us going, you know, but back then you just were very creative in ways. Cause we, we were always, at least at the beginning, with very small independent labels that didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you came up with ways of, uh, keeping yourself alive and then eventually we were with AM out of Los Angeles and then there was a different different deal right there lots of money to play with but yeah especially being a can- Canadian band and a, a new young Canadian band you got to be creative so that's uh, that is all part of it yeah definitely being ahead of that curve of the sponsorship style lifestyle that you see a lot of the pop musicians and even like a lot of the other musicians when they're like getting sponsored by various other products that you'll find in different music mm-hmm. magazines and everything else. But back then I could definitely see how a lot of people in the scene would see that as selling out. Yeah. But if you're endorsing your guitars, I mean, that's, that's cool. But you know, like these days, I mean, all these artists have, you know, like I say, aftershave or perfume or, or clothing line or whatever, you know, so it's no big deal. Yeah. You know, but at the time it was tough, but in retrospect, it really, I mean, I think I think we did some better in stores on that tour than we did say at, at record stores. You know, we, we, it was a, cl- a clothing line that was national, so we went to in store signings, and they mm-hmm. were huge. You know, our, our our fan base didn't care. You know, <laughs> come see you at a record store or a clothing store, it didn't matter. They just had the opportunity to see you, and they were happy, and you guys were just happy to be oh, able yeah. to get out and do have the same opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so. You guys definitely had a lot of successes back then, but something that you mentioned earlier that was maybe a little bit of a setback was the size of the labels initially and maybe a little bit of restrictions with money and otherwise. What were some of the other problems that you guys found yourselves running into back during that initial run? You know, all the regular stuff. I mean, most most things you can deal with because, you know, you can, you can think of ways around it or, but one thing in particular was completely out of our hands and it really changed what could have been our future. And you were talking about romantic traffic and tell the lies, which were on their way 
to being huge hits in Canada, and was also released to be released in the U.S. through a and Los Angeles. And they, they too said these are the songs that are going to break you in America because to them things like Nova Heart were still a little little on the edge, you know, too too out there for general you know American public. So they thought those songs were perfect for us. And just before they were released, they got a new A and R guy came in and cleaned house. Not just us, but everything. He had a new vision for for the label and all those things. Not not only would they not release those two songs, they were just put down in the bowels of A&M somewhere and not, never to be touched again. We couldn't even get them to release on our own. So there was a, that was hard to get over. It took us months of, you know, luckily we had our, our Canadian fans to fall back on. Wow. So that was a, a big, yeah, that was, imagine if that hadn't happened, things may be a little different now. So it's not even the fact that they didn't even necessarily break in the States. It's they didn't even have the opportunity at the time because you didn't have the no. internet for people to find them. No, they were gone. They, and they, they couldn't be released. We, had, we didn't have permission because they owned the masters. So they were gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're still down there somewhere in the basement of Van M somewhere. Wow. So they wouldn't release them themselves, but they wouldn't allow you to release them on the off chance that you actually did something with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This was very odd. You know, but apart from that, everything was great. You know, we, that was the one stumbling wow. that we came across. But, you know, we dealt with it and we moved on and, you know, did just fine. So how did that end up affecting the dynamic of the band? Well, like I said, I mean, if we had didn't have anything else to fall back on, it would have been the end of everything. But it was so strong in Canada, we just threw ourselves back and went home and uh, did just fine, you know. Um we had no problem releasing them in Canada and, and, and Europe. So mm-hmm. there's a whole big other chunk of the world we can deal with, right? Okay, so you're still getting those opportunities here, opening them for bands like The Police and otherwise in Canada because yeah. you still had a strong following. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. sometimes, you know, sometimes a band needs their audience more than the other way around, you know. Mm-hmm. They can get, get you through things for sure. Definitely, I can understand that for sure. So then it would be about 20 years in between the release of your last studio album of the ADOs, Vertigo Tango, and your next studio released album, Static and Transmission. So what was that break like for you, Gord? Well, to be honest, when the end of the 80s came and grunge came, I thought that was it. You know, I thought spoons wouldn't mean anything ever again. And there were a couple of years where it felt that way. We would do the odd festival, that kind of thing. But I never in a million years dreamt it would be a retro 80s movement, which began as early as the mid-90s. It wasn't long until people started missing it and, uh, you know, admiring what, what went on there. And, and also young people catching on. I mean, think, look at all the bands in the meantime that have those 80s flavors in their in their sound. So... Yeah, there were there was a time where I did I would never even have considered another album. I thought that was it. And then then I saw people, you know, other eighties bands like Duran Duran and people like that coming out with new albums. Well, you know, I got this back, this bug in the back of my head going, Well, let me think about it. And as it started to happen more and more and they were charting again, I thought, Well, you know, why not? Give it a shot. But by that time I mean I never stopped writing. It wasn't necessarily for the spoons. And and there was enough material that had built up to make an album and by the time we did put it out the retro 80s movement was back in full swing you know obviously it was, it was the timing was great okay so you guys were still playing shows together so the relationship had never actually 
soured and settled you guys were still here and there and then eventually as a team decided that hey this material exists why don't we do something with it and see where it goes yeah no by that time it was different people and it's always been sandy and myself yeah but through those decades you know drummers and keyboard players came and went so um but we do still get the original guys back together for special shows and you may, you may touch on this later, but next year is our 40th anniversary, so the old Rob Derrick should be back for some big shows. Oh, well, that's that's fantastic to hear. I mean, sometimes it's always good to have them back, but sometimes the schedules just don't line up, and everybody has their own lives, families, and other things that they need to take care of. Yeah. Um, that's an opportunity you can't miss, though. You get pretty excited about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, so do they. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so once you guys actually get back into the studio, what was it like getting the spoons back into the studio? Like I said, it had been over 20 years since the last time you guys had released an album. The way that albums were recorded had shifted. The way that albums were released were shifted. So what was the change like stepping into that new world? It's actually pretty comfortable, you know, the last studio album we made, the Rico Tango, we, you know, we spent three months in Wales, spent exorbitant amounts of money, <laughs> a big studio. This, the Static Transmission and the last album, New Day, New World, were done in Sandy's private studio. Like her husband's a producer and they have a little building on their property. And it was done at our own pace and there was no rush. It was very cheaply made and very low pressure. Completely different than when you're under the guns of, of a record label and and, you know, there's no need to spend lots of money anymore to make a good record. Mm-hmm. And that difference, like you said, is the record label doesn't necessarily have control of everything. So now you guys have a little bit more power over your own decisions. Yeah, and, and the technology, of course, is different than it was back then. You know, the, you can put everything you need on the computer now. You know, back then it was racks of outboard gear and big giant tape reels and that kind of thing. So... I do, I do miss that a little bit because there's a vibe to that. It's conducive to working, but you can do it all on, you know, pretty well on a laptop if you had to. Mm-hmm. I can definitely imagine the trying to create certain sounds would um, put you in some very interesting situations back in the day, whereas now some of those sounds are more readily available. Oh, oh for sure. You just push a couple of buttons and you have a different amp, you have a different room, you have everything at your fingertips. I remember we recorded the Vertigo album just to show how much it changed at that point. That was pretty modern then, which was like 88, I think. We did that record, I'm not sure. But it was at the old, um, what's it called? Rockfield Studios in Wales, where, I mean, you just watched Bohemian Rhapsody, that's where they recorded that. And if you remember the movie, it was like an old Welsh farm almost with horses and stables. And they showed us, just to show how technology had changed, they showed us the stables have been converted into reverb chambers for Led Zeppelin and they had these big mirrors on motors that could move and that, that was their echo chamber back <laughs> just to show even from that point how much things had changed wow that's intense yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> alright everybody we're going to be taking a little bit of a short break here but don't worry we still have a lot left to dish out onto your plate from my conversation with Gord Depp of The Spoons, coming your way extremely soon. And of course, we're going to be giving a spin to another track off of their latest album, 
new day, new world to make sure that your ears are nice and fed up tight before we continue this conversation. But of course, before we get there, I just want to go and tell you guys that this episode, as well as every other episode of the DTP, is brought to you by ilovedtp.com. Why is that? That's because ilovedtp.com is where you, that's right, you, the listeners of the Desert Tiger podcast are going to go ahead and find yourself the latest and greatest in Desert Tiger podcast gear, swag, clothing, whatever you want to call it, so that you can rep the show everywhere you go, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and heck, even in front of your enemies. Because you know, and I, I also know, that they aren't going to be able to stop you from chasing your dreams and achieving what you have set out to, from finding the top of your mountain, baby, as I like to put it. So, like I said, where is that? Where's the best place to support the Desert Tiger podcast? That is, I love DTP.com. That is, I-L-O-V-E-D-T-P.com. And that is because that allows us to invest more into the podcast. It allows us to get bigger and better guests on the show. It allows us to upgrade our equipment so that when we have multi-person interviews, we can sound a hell of a lot better. All of those beautiful things are thanks to you, those of you, who have gone ahead already to ilovedtp.com and cop themselves some sick Desert Tiger Podcast merch. So that when you're out and about repping the show, you don't get caught like the spoons doing all the wrong things in the right places.
So from Static and Transmission, it would be another eight years up until this new album, New Day, New World. So you guys, you had said that you didn't think that the band would do another album after Static and Transmission. And you also said that you didn't think that you would do another one after Vertigo Tango. So once again, finding yourself in that situation where suddenly the art just struck you. So where did the process for New Day, New World begin? Well, I think the cool thing about not, you know, once you're not with a label or you're, like, you know, there's a cycle to working in the 80s where you record an album and work on videos, they say for a year or so, and then you spend the next year touring and went back and forth that way, touring, recording, touring. This way, you can let years pass let the songs build up to the point where you have something good. And I think that also makes it unique because you experience life. You know, you take years off and see things in a new perspective where you might get into a bit of a creative rut, you know, if you make albums on demand every two years or whatever. So this way, you know, and I've gone through a lot of things since the last record, like personally and how I look at the world. And that's good. You know, that way you get a whole body of, songs that is unique to that time in your life not just you know the next you know page and and ongoing story that you know like the 80s were but things tend to be a little more similar so so the other factor is that we had fans asking again we would never put a record just for the hell of it you know it was just it was the time to do it yeah so you didn't want to force something but you felt that suddenly the sounds were coming good. Were you testing these songs on the road when you were playing different shows? Oh, for sure, yeah. I can. I never see a song being complete unless it's been played a few times live, and you can sort of tweak it okay. and um, sing it properly. If I, hmm. if I went into the studio and just sang the song the first time, that way I, it wouldn't be the same. I just have to suss it out in front of a crowd and mm-hmm. feel it right. So, definitely, you had a lot more time to experience and craft these songs instead of, like you said, in the old time where you get into a studio, you make the album, you get out, you release it, and then then you're on the road for a year and a half and then back into the studio, and you don't have much time to experience anything else but that life. Yeah, maybe that's why in the old days, a lot of fans were putting rock albums out, and their songs were about life on the road and girls and, you know, whatever else went on. Because that's their experience, you know, from between albums or touring. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's uh, 
I think it's a, I think each album is like a little time capsule of that part of your life. Oh, definitely. Exactly. But actually, what you were at, and, and I see that now. That's what we're very lucky as artists to have albums and videos and songs because they're little time capsules that you can go, oh, yeah, that that was when this was going on in my life, and th- I see now why this happened and why I wrote that song, and it kind of all makes sense at thirty or something years later. Oh, definitely, and that sometimes stands to reason where your first album, you have an entire life to draw from, and then the albums after that, you only have that time period in between, and like you said, said, you're on the road, and the only thing you're seeing is being on the road, the women, the lifestyle, being behind stage, having like all these different things around you, and it those things are a little harder for the audience to connect with than the rest of your life. And I think that's why a lot of bands have a lot of trouble with their second and third albums. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. But our songs were never about those things, right? If you write back to the very beginning, stick figure neighborhood and the area, there was completely anti those things. You know, there, I was admired people like Dave Byrne, his sort of blowing things out of proportion, taking very minute things in life and, and making something big out of them, you know, out of molehills kind of thing. I love that way of writing. Instead of writing about, you know, those things we talked about, you know, mm. as simple as, you know, people in your neighborhood or, you know, living in suburbia and very suburban utilitarian things, like Talking Heads did. We were really like that in the early days, like Talking Heads, except we were from Burlington, Ontario, you know, very sort of sheltered from the rest of the world and um, with a very strange perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and something that you mentioned has been some of those older albums, and that's something that I've found listening to New Day, New World, is you guys represent those older songs and some of those older tracks in a new light by spreading ways on them, whether it be through the do do doos that you put on some of the songs, or even, like you said, Stick Figure Neighborhood. It's actually a lyric on the title track to the album. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, that wasn't intentional, and neither were the doo-doos that came out. I think there's a little bit of everything we've done, because we had a solid 10 years of making music, and, you know, the early albums were electronic, the middle years were more popular, funky, with Nile Rodgers producing, and then by the end of the 80s, being on the same level as Rush, we became more rock and roll. I think all of those things are really well represented on this album. Mm-hmm. So, do you find that you guys had a different energy going into New Day, New World than you did with recording Static and Transmission? Yeah, I think it's a whole different thing. I think Static was barely robotic and thing on the shore, electronic sort of craft-looking roots. But this, a lot more emotional, um, more poppy, more fun. I, I would compare it to the sort of, sort of dramatic, crafty, tunnelized summer years, you know, very upbeat and fun. But still, with some darker moments, like of the Arias album. Mm-hmm. That's actually one of my favorite albums from your catalog, and something that you guys got a lot of attention for too was the Arias album for its expression and ex- exploration of sound. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we were lucky to get John Hunter, producer, who um, was also a drummer, so he introduced us to the 808 drum machine. Oh. And the Nomar was one of the first first uses ever of that hand clap sound that became kind of iconic. Hmm. Awesome. That's actually really yeah, interesting. And he, and he just worked with yeah with some very cool British bands that we like, like Japan and Roxy Music and that kind of thing. Where so for, it was good and bad because people all of a sudden assumed we were from Britain. We just we had that sound. 
a certain way of mixing that was different than the American way of mixing albums. And even the way I sang back then, people assumed we were just another British band from that, you know, you know, wave of bands like Ultravox and, and OMD and that sort of thing that were coming over. Mm-hmm. I can understand that for sure. So one thing that also has sort of made a return in its importance to the band, but in a completely different way, is the use of music videos. Because, like we said earlier, much music, you guys were on the first episode, and back then, music videos were so important to a band. And nowadays, much music doesn't really play as many music videos, but you... Still, your music videos have found another way to shine. Uh, in a way, I never imagined because I, I thought there was no use in doing a video. I thought they were extinct. You know, why bother? And um, it's only because I had a friend who he got me thinking about a very unique way of doing a video. So I didn't want to come back and just have us performing, you know, singing our song, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you could do it in a really unique way that would catch people's attention, I, I would be into doing it and he he's not even a rock um video producer he's a filmmaker and used to have one of those paranormal ghost hunting tv shows <laughs> it was called paranormal uh, uh i can't remember the name it's like paranormal investigators or something like that and i thought you know how cool would it be to have a rock, a rock video that looked like an episode from one of those shows you know with the night vision goggles and, and ghost meters and devices that you know they carry around so I talked to him. He said, "You agree? That'd be a very cool way of doing things." And the other interesting thing is, we made it a three-part sort of little mini-series. So each one ends with a little hook. I can already tell you because you'll see it when you watch the video. But the first video ends with the orb mm-hmm. from Novahart. So people go, "What? What was that?" And then it goes to be continued. And so the next two songs will be sort of in the same setting with more clues leading up to some climax that's yet to come by the beginning of next year. So for that reason, it's really more like a little movie. And our producer, the director of the video, Peter Sacco, thought he'd submit it to a couple of film festivals. And all of a sudden, we're over 20 different film festivals, including Cannes in France and TIFF in Toronto and in Hollywood, Bollywood. It's really one of few mm-hmm. over there, all over the place. And being either submitted as a music video or in some cases, a short film. And it's getting attention for the band and in a way I never met. Wow, so you guys are using the ideal of the paranormal profilers, reality ghost hunter style thing and it's definitely like you said he never done a rock music video so he's bringing an entirely different approach and feel to it, giving it a different style than what most people would think a music video would read like. So you guys sort of like play with the ghost idea through hints of the past as well through the video. Yeah, they really worked perfectly with the lyrics of the song the first and last time. And, and so it tugs on strings a little bit when it comes to the old band, the little images. And that's really, you know, I'll give you just a small clue is that, like I said, next year is the 40th anniversary. So there's a purpose of the three videos as they build up. Oh, wow. So they build up you know, towards see, yeah. hinting towards something a something that you guys are doing next year for your 40th year anniversary yeah oh wow exactly yeah that's, that's all i'll say and but we even had a contest where there are at least 12 little clues or references to old spoons 
you know, album covers and videos up and people are sending in their submissions and they, they actually win one of those orbs that was in the, um, the glowing orb. Oh, really? The video. It actually, it, yeah, it's a fun little thing. We found, found them. It looks just like the ones on the Novar video and it's got a remote control so you can, you can use it as a night table huh. lamp. <laughs> But it's a cool little wow, that's awesome! On. So did Peter direct the other two videos as well? Yeah, but we did a, some general footage in the same haunted house, and then each one has a different theme. So we he's getting extra footage for the other two, you know, as we move along. So, but it has a general, you know, feeling to it. The same of location but it builds on that okay and then are you guys still planning on putting in little hints and little references to old things within the spoons oh, history yeah. as well oh absolutely it makes kind of makes it fun that you, it, it's not just a video or a movie you can have you know it's a bit of a game or a puzzle that you can unravel and like you said over the three videos there's a there's a kind of a, a purpose to the whole thing which you'll understand as you watch it and when it's done i can kind of joke you can binge watch all three episodes <laughs> like, a <mini-series. laughs> like a mini series no doubt sit down yeah, yeah, sit yeah. down in uh spoons and chill but if you think about it nova heart look at that video it was very on music video too it was not typical rock and roll video i mean they're standing on a swing in a magic garden wearing a tutu you know there's rob derrick and i sitting standing at something that looked like the helm of the spaceship enterprise you know this sort of sci-fi looking room with in uniforms and you know, it was very confusing but because it was so unique overnight everybody knew who we were hmm. it wasn't just us you know playing our guitars on stage yeah no doubt it was an entirely different view and at that time for a lot of people within canada maybe something new to them so it was it was something that they were yeah. going to remember for sure i think so I think so. All right. All right. Well, I can't wait to unlock the rest of the secrets in the other two videos <laughs> as they get released to find out what the all the hype is for the 40th year anniversary. I know that you said you can't say much more on that. I know you said that you've got a little bit more tour dates involved. Is there anything else in the future of the Spoons that you can speak with us today about? Well, that's you know, that's really about it. I mean, it just, yeah, next year's just going to be really busy. That's all I can say. I mean, with the flock and, and spoons and sometimes combinations of the two. Um, and you, and like I said, in a few cases, you, you may see the, the, the original band back together. I know we already have bookings that want us for big festivals as the original band. Um, you know, the, the big continuation of the videos, which will finish, I think at the beginning of next year, you know, right after the new year. Um, see what happens there. I, I, this album is so strong, I really think there are going to be a bunch of singles from it. There's, there's a great song that Fanny sings that she'll probably do a video for. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll have a lot of fun with the New Day, New World album for years to come. You know, right now I'm thinking it's probably, probably our last record. I think it's our best record ever. I think this and our Zipneys are the two I'm most proud of. But like it happened before, never say never, you know, mm-hmm. it could be more down the road. Oh, definitely. It is a strong continuation of not only the Spoon style, but of that 80s new wave pop movement. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today here, Gord. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you could hear me all right. I'm still on transit from in San, San Ramos. Oh, no worries. I think you came through San Antonio. San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Have a good, safe travel for the rest of your time with the 
With the flock of seagulls, that's right. Yeah. They got a big show on at San Antonio tonight. A couple other bands on the bill. Wang Chung, Missing Persons, Motels. The, the, oh, wow. The, the Vapors, you know, Turning Japanese. There's a bunch. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, keeping that retro 80s movement alive and strong. Oh, absolutely. All right. Thank you, Gord. Thank you very much. All right, you guys, and with that, we draw near the end of another episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast, but of course, have no fear, have absolutely none at all, because a new episode is going to be drawing near you very soon, coming next week, and of course, I'm going to be telling you all about who's joining me on that episode very soon. But before we go ahead and get there, I want to thank this week's guest one last time. A big old DTP thank you to Gord for joining us here on today's episode to discuss the return of the Doot Doot Doos and the return of the Spoons. I had a great time chatting with Gord all about the Spoons' new album, New Day, New World, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it too. If you're a new listener of the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it so much that maybe you want to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on whatever service you are listening on just by going ahead and hitting that subscribe or follow button, whatever it happens to be. Maybe you have already done that. Well, maybe you enjoyed this episode so much that you want to go ahead and share it on maybe your Twitter, maybe on your Facebook wall, maybe in your Instagram stories, and of course I would be so very ecstatic if you decided to tag the podcast or even myself in that post so that I can go ahead and give you the love you deserve for your love of the DTP. Of course, another way that you can help out the show is by reviewing the Desert Tiger podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Of course, rating the show, reviewing the show, giving it a five-star review helps the show get in front of more eyes. It helps us chart and in turn helps us get bigger and better guests. And that is a beautiful thing because I know you guys want bigger and better guests, right? Right? So why don't you head on over there right now and give the DTP a big old five-star review. That's right. Five, 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 a five-a-star review and help us out. And of course, if you want to take it that extra step further by heading on over to ilovedtp.com and grabbing yourself some sick DTP swag so that you can rep the show everywhere you go. I mean, that's a good way of spreading the word of mouth by showing off the show everywhere you go in front of your friends, in front of your families, and heck, in front of your enemies even. Because they're just a bunch of clowns. They're just a bunch of jokes. They're just a bunch of doinks. And they ain't going to be able to stop you from reaching your glory, from reaching the top of the mountain that you deserve to stand on. So very so. All right. I also want to go ahead and thank Eric Alper for helping set up this interview. You guys know that the man EA has been helping out the DTP for a while now and I have absolutely no idea where we would be without Eric Alper. He he's the man. Of course, he likes to say that we would be at the top of the game if it wasn't for him. So, I just want to go ahead and thank Eric for holding us back in the ever so lovingly way that he does. All right, next week on the DTP I am joined by a member of a New York hardcore punk 
super group, I guess you could call them. That's right, I am joined by Scott Roberts of The Take. The Take is a group that is made up of members of New York hardcore bands such as Madball, Agnostic Front, and it even features my guest next week on the show, Mr. Scott Roberts, who is known for his time in bands like Biohazard and the freaking Cro-Mags. You, if you know me, you guys know that I'm actually a big fan of New York hardcore. I love to get in the pit. I love to get my skank on. If you guys don't know what that is, it's when you dance in a circle like a freaking fool, and it is one of my favorite things in the entire world. I am so excited to have Scott Roberts on the show next week. So until then, I hope that you guys have yourselves a beautiful day. I hope that the sun is shining so very bright upon you. I hope that everything that you attempt to do with yourself prospers and grows. And I hope that you find your top of the mountain. Until next week, bye-bye.